The Video Insiders is the show that makes sense of all that is happening in the world of online video, as seen through the eyes of a second-generation Kodak nerd and a marketing guy who knows what iframes and macro blocks are. And here are your hosts, Mark Donegan and Dror Gill. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of The Video Insiders. I'm Dror Gill, and with me, as usual, Mark Donegan. Hey, Mark, how are you doing? Dror, I'm doing great. Doing great. Always good to be on the microphone. Yeah, it's awesome. And we have an awesome show for you uh, today. And today we are hosting Noir Hamze, who is the CEO of uh, Allegro DVT. Hi, Noir, and welcome to the Video Insiders. Hello, Mark. Hello, Dror. Uh, thank you. Uh, thanks for having me. Yeah, it's great to have you, Noir. Thank you. Uh, so I'm uh, Noir Hamze. I'm the CEO of Allegro, as, as George just said. So a company which is basically specialized in uh, video, uh, digital video technologies, right? So we, we have uh, two main product lines, right? The first one is about uh, compliance streams, right? So basically we, we license uh, video streams that uh, help, you know, um, uh, silicon vendors uh, verify the compliance of their hardware implementation with a given uh, video codec standard, right? And uh, the other product line is about uh, silicon IPS right that uh, take care of uh, video compression and decompression uh-huh. and were you always in this uh, space of uh, video uh, even before Allegro yeah actually yeah I joined Allegro in 2018 so three years ago right and prior to that I was you know I I spent pretty much uh, all my career in in video so uh, that it goes back to uh, 1995 like a long time ago. Where I contributed to uh, the design of MPEG2 video decoder right that was uh, back in uh, with the Philips semiconductor which became uh, NXP later on right and then I, I I moved to to ST micro and joined other American companies such as Connexent and uh, Tropic communications right and Trident microsystem and I have always been you know in in, in video space right at the beginning in uh, in you know technical r d type of type of positions and transition transition later on to marketing uh, product marketing type of positions well it's a, a super interesting time uh, to be you know working in hardware I think that we are uh, uh, finding that you know as as video consumption is increasing resolutions are increasing the demand on the networks are increasing <laughs> the expectation is to real-time ultra low latency uh, all of a sudden the need for video IP cores and um, you know silicon solutions is is really sort of I guess you could almost say coming front and center. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's, it's I think, a great time to be, to be in, in, in the video space, right? So as you, as you mentioned, I think uh, video usage uh, is just, you know, uh, exploding, right? We see now more and more uh, uh, verticals, right, requiring, requiring video. Right? So, go, so traditionally, historically, we had, of course, set-up boxes and TVs, right, dealing with video, but more and more you have now, you know, um, smartphones, tablets, uh, uh, video surveillance, of course, is transitioning to, to all IP and uh, demanding, you know, um, video, video compression and decompression solutions. Uh, AR, VR is another, you know, er- interesting area that is growing fast. Uh, drones. Uh, cloud transcoding cloud gaming and uh, more I think more recently automotive as well where we see you know video being used more you know uh, more and more 
Yeah, it's so great time to be with you. Yeah, and, and the companies who develop these solutions, they have the option to uh, just take an off-the-shelf ASIC that does video compression and use it, or they can go to a company like Allegro and license uh, a video IP core and then build um, a custom ASIC using uh, that core and maybe integrate uh, other components. So I guess the motivation of, of using a, a core and building your own ASIC is when you need uh, customization, when you have special uh, power requirements, or what, what's the typical um, uh, profile of a customer who would uh, license a silicon IP? First of all, I mean, there are two things. As an SOC vendor, you have the choice either to develop, you know, uh, video IPs internally, or basically you, you, you go and license it from a third party such as, such as Allegro. So that decision is mainly driven by the profile of the SOC vendor and whether they have in-house expertise for video. That's typically the case with, uh, you know, um, players who have been in the video space for, let's say, 15, 20 years, right? These guys invested in building uh, video IPs to handle compression and decompression. So most of the time they don't need they don't come to us, right? But you have another, uh, another you know, profile of, of silicon vendors who uh, are not coming from video, right? And they want to focus their resources on other added value technologies. The, the first one that, that comes to mind is AI, right? So you have a lot of AI companies. Their core value proposition is AI. So they're gonna, they will invest a lot in building their own AI engine, right? But when it comes to video, right, they are not interested in building that expertise internally. So they come to us and license the IP. So that's basically what, what drives the need for an, an, an external IP. Now, the, the next question was, why do you need basically to implement video processing and hardware, right, in ASIC? The, uh, the reason is mainly the, the throughput of, uh, of your uh, video engine, right? So... Uh, more and more uh, silicon vendors, they need to process high-res pictures, right, 4K and even, even 8K at uh, 60 frames per second, 120 frames per second. And more and more, there is a requirement to handle multiple channels simultaneously, right? So that kind of throughput is just impossible to do in, in software, right? So you need to transition to hardware at some point uh, on the encode side, of course, and also on the decode side. One of the things that, that comes to mind is whenever hardware is used in the context of video, you know, some people, they may default to thinking GPU or they may think FPGA or, you know, and now there's a trend where if you look at the roadmap of even Intel and, you know, what, what their um, uh, video roadmap is, you know, it's almost like a little bit of a hybrid, um, you know, where there's, you know, they have their SVT software solutions and then they have, you know, IP cores that are on the silicon. And, and so the question is, what are you finding in terms of where ASICs, because that's really the core of who you're licensing to as someone who's who's building an ASIC, you know, where are people choosing one solution over another? Are there certain solutions, certain type of applications that uh, just clearly one particular approach is preferred or maybe even the only approach that works? So I think you I think you you mentioned, I mean, uh, different uh, different technologies that, that that enable video processing out of video. Uh, acceleration of video processing. So you mentioned GPU, you mentioned FPGA as well, and of ASIC. 
I think uh, when it comes to, to using GPUs, I think that's a very valid you know, solution that exists in the market. But the, but the challenge for the system integration is differentiation. You know, G- GPU providers are well known and you, know, you have a limited choice of brand. Okay, so differentiation is, go- is going to be very hard in this space, right? And so uh, uh, if you are building a video transcoding solution for, for the cloud, using existing GPU-based solutions uh, would probably give you little little differentiation, right? So the, I would say the big guys would probably prefer to build uh, their own silicon internally, right? Uh, FPGA is another uh, valid technology, right? You know, that is used for video processing. But again, that is, I think, a good solution to have in, uh, to, for fast prototyping, right? But uh, it does not scale up very well, right? So, uh, and it's also very expensive, right? But it's a very good solution to build prototypes and or systems uh, in, 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 I would say, low volume. Prototype of ASICs are often built on FPGAs, right? <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. And, and we, 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 use, we use FPGA to validate our IP, of by course. the way. Right? Yeah. So, yeah. And, and then there's the issue of price, right? Because if you have a dedicated ASIC that does only video and uh, you contrast that with a GPU that has the video encoding engine inside, but also, you know, has a full uh, graphics processor, if you don't have a really an intensive application that would use the GPU while you are doing video encoding with the hardware, then actually it's a more expensive solution than using an ASIC. Yeah, that is, uh, that is true. Yeah, that's true. But again, building an ASIC is also, you know, a huge investment especially if we're talking about, you know, advanced technology process such as, you know, 12 or 7 or even 5 nanometer technology because this is we're talking about, you know, a multi-million dollars investment. Right. And, and that's where you have to be if you're, for example, in mobile and need low power and very small components. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So if the volume is there, you know, so building an ASIC is 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 of course a non a non-brainer. But I'm I'm more talking about you know applications such as a cloud transcoding, where we see some um, uh, big players building their own uh, ASIC uh, transcoding solution, right, uh, internally, even in very very uh, advanced technology node. That is an interesting decision, right? Because uh, the, these guys, I think, they are more looking at the um, at uh, differentiation and making sure that you know uh, they are not relying on some third party solution which can be used by their competi- competition, right? So it's more of you know protecting their market position by by going vertical and building the ASIC that goes into their data centers. Right, and we see the big companies like the hyperscalers, you know, Facebook, Google building their own video encoding chip. Uh, recently, Google um, exposed the chip they've been using for the past three years in YouTube to encode video. And it's, it's really an, an amazing chip, right? It is, it is, yeah, it is. So that, that trend is very interesting. And I think that's also driving the need for uh, video IPs, such as what we offer today, because most of the case, I mean, these players don't have uh, all the uh, all the pieces internally to take care of video video processing, right? So that is giving us, you know, very uh, very nice opportunities. Right. So not everybody is Google or Facebook, and and not everybody can hire and maintain their own uh, silicon uh, uh, team for for video compression. And then, as a, let's say, a small cloud or a relatively a small um, uh, service, I come to the conclusion that I need uh, uh, video encoding. Then. Um, I can build um, an ASIC and I can come to you for the, uh, you know, the basic compression engine and then maybe even outsource a design team that will build the chip itself, right? 
Yeah, the, the, that's true. But again, I mean, that that decision is uh, not easy because uh, I, I mentioned, you know, that the, the cost of building an ASICN advanced technology node is very, very high, right? But you can still use like less advanced technologies like 28 nanometer, for example, 20, 22, and keeping the cost quite reasonable, right? And so the so you get probably less throughput, right? With the overall solution, but you are still able to build your own ASIC and deploy it in your uh, you know uh, data centers. So what are some of the uh, technical features or the differentiators with your solution? And how big is this market? Um, you know, are you always competing with one or two other uh, uh, companies, or you know, are there dozens out there? Um, what does the landscape look like? Of course, we have two types of competition, right? We have. Uh, uh, the internal competition that's coming from uh, some of our customers because they have uh, uh, internal design teams that uh, they're the, their own teams, right? Okay, so they come to us from time to time when they need basically to support a new codec and uh, they don't want to uh, invest, right, in, in in adding support for, uh, for example, AV1, right? So that's that's the first type of competition. The other, of course, we, we, we also have other competitors, right? IP vendors like us uh, who play in the, same, in the same space, right? But again, the good news for us is that building, and I think Drawer can, can confirm that building an encoder is very difficult, right? Yeah, definitely. There is a barrier to entry to this market, right? Which basically protects us. And if you look at the at the players, uh, like the IP vendors that uh, have the capability to provide decent, right, uh, uh, video uh, encoding and decoding solutions with the required quality that you expect from, you know, an IP vendor, I think we're talking about maybe two to three uh, serious players. And of course, Allegro DVT is one of them. And what about uh, the features that you use to differentiate your solution? Yeah, so basically, I mean, uh, Allegro, had, Allegro DVT had like unique positioning in the, in the IP space because we are a pure play video IP provider. Video is in our DNA, and that's basically, that's what we've been doing since the company was, was created. So we, uh, being a pure play uh, video, pro, uh, video IP provider, uh, pushes us to support pretty much all the video codecs that are out there uh, on the encode and the decode side. So starting going back to, uh, of course, uh, the so-called legacy codecs such as MPEG-2, VC1, VP8, etc. DivX, right? And then transitioning to H.264, HEVC, of course, VP9, AV1, uh, and uh, more recently, uh, of course, VVC, which is, you know, which is in the works as we speak. We also, I mean, support any picture resolution. So we have this unique architecture where the IP is capable of scaling up and down to support, let's say, uh, VGA up to uh, HD, 4K, and even 8K. So that flexibility, right, this scalability of the solution is something that is unique typically to IP vendors. But when you are a silicon vendor and you have your internal teams who develop such IPs, you don't basically focus on scalability. You, you, can, you build a solution that fits your requirements. But as an IP vendor, we have to embed that, that flexibility right, in the architecture and the design of our IPs. And that's basically what differentiates ourselves. Actually, it's, it's, it's very common that we see silicon vendors who have uh, you know, their own video IPs coming to us and they request basically a specific IP for specific resolution, 
right? Because they don't have it internally, or their, their, their internal solution is not flexible enough and cannot be customized to support that specific use case. So they come to us even though they have the technology uh, internally. And in what format uh, do you supply uh, your IP? So this is basically what we call RTL uh, source code. So we have, I mean, we, we supply uh, soft IPs. So the, the customer can customize them and, and modify them? Typically, we don't recommend that our customers uh, modify the the, uh, the source code, right? Uh, even though they can do that, right? I mean, because when you touch something in the design, you have to go through an extensive uh, validation process, right? And uh, which, well, you know, and we're, here we're talking about silicon, right? And you cannot afford to having bugs in the silicon because <laughs> the cost of bugs in silicon is very, very high. So we do basically the validation, the verification on behalf of our customers, and uh, we provide basically a package that is ready for integration, right? So, and that is the reason why customers do rely on us to, to customize the IP to fit their exact needs. Mm. So if they need just one codec at one resolution, you know, you take a subset of your IP and you package that for them and test and deliver. Absolutely. I mean, okay, that's the beauty of the of the architecture that 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 we have. It's it's flexible. It's uh, it can be customized to fit exactly the requirements of your target application in terms of you know codec support, resolution, and even you know we can also add uh, uh, other customization services such as you know adapting the bus width, right, and uh, you know adding some pre-processing, post-processing blocks, right. To, to, to simplify the integration at the system level in the target SOC. One of the things, uh, those working in software, you know, when, they, when they're critical uh, of an ASIC or hardware approach, you know, they immediately point towards the um, perceived or even real inflexibility. So, uh, you know, one of the beautiful things about software is, is that there's just so much optimization and, you know, you could say tweaking, uh, uh, some very, very deep in the codec and some more kind of parameter tuning. How do you deal with that? You know, so let's say you're engaging with somebody and, you know, they have a particularly high bar for a particular use case, a resolution, a, you know, whatever that is. Do you offer a way for them to go in and, and maybe even tinker at the rate control level, just as an example, or can you characterize that? I think you're, you're right that hardware implementations tend to be less flexible. However, there are, uh, you know, um, solutions, right, that allow to reintroduce some of the flexibility that you, that you see in software. And it has to do with the, the partitioning that, uh, that, that you do basically between what gets uh, processed in hardware and what gets done in software. Because uh, even though we provide a hardware solution, um, there are still some tasks that are carried out in software. Basically, I mean, uh, anything that is below the slice level, right, gets done in hardware. Because like I fixed hardware functions. Uh, uh, the processing of the upper layer is done in software providing some flexibility, including, as you mentioned, for example, rate control, which is a central piece in an encoder, right? That is, of course, uh, I would say not 100%, but I would say 95% software. And there is, of course, some, some hardware support uh, there, but it's it's mostly software allowing, you know, uh, a high level of, uh, of, of customization. So when you supply the solution, you supply the Silicon IP together with that piece of software? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, when we started, I mean, back in uh, back uh, 15 years ago, we had like one or two software guys, right? 
And now half of the team is software engineers, just developing drivers and, uh, you know, things such as rate control and customizing rate control behavior to meet you know, the requirements of the application. And, and this software, it runs on a, on a controller inside the ASIC of, that the customer designs, or does it run on, on the host, which, uh, you know, hosts the whole uh, solution? We provide various options, and that's, again, that's the flexibility that uh, that is provided by, by, by an IP vendor. So that software can be run either, either on a built-in microcontroller that we supply within the IP, or a microcontroller that the customer decides to uh, put inside the SOC or... It also can run on the on the main host processor, so it's up to the customer. So part of the uh, uh, the design process that we sit down with our customers to agree on the right partitioning right of, of the system and where to basically uh, put the CPU that will run the control software uh, associated with the video IPs. This is interesting. I'm wondering if there's any trends that you're seeing because, um, you know, in encoding, especially over the last six or seven years, this concept of content adaptive, um, you know, encoding, and there's a lot of different approaches out there, but this idea of doing something beyond just your two or three basic rate control modes, you know, has really taken on. And I think now, you know, literally every encoding vendor has their, their version, their variation. And, uh, of course, you know, Beamer has a very well-established approach there. Um, my, my question is, are you seeing, or are you talking to people who are starting to think about running these more advanced rate control modes? It really depends uh, on the customer. If the customer has basically a long history of uh, dealing with the video, right, they would ask us to just focus on the low level functions, right, as far as uh, hardware encoding is concerned. But they will ask us to uh, expose a lot of uh, information, right, to the uh, to the software, right, so that they can run all kind of rate control uh, mechanisms and. Uh, you know, use the motion vectors that are uh, basically uh, calculated by, by by the hardware engine, right? So they can do their whatever they want with that. We we also have customers who come from a different background. They have they they, they basically don't understand video, and these guys are expecting basically an uh, uh, turnkey solution with even like a black box with a built-in microcontroller that run our firmware. They don't want to see, you know, any complexity uh, that is associated with, uh, with with video processing. Now, you, you mentioned various market segments uh, before, you know, automotive, drones, and mobile, and also the cloud uh, processing. Uh, where are you seeing uh, most demand uh, recently, let's say in, in the last 12 months, uh, if you look at... Um, you know, cross-section of your customers, where are they coming from? What are the hot uh, uh, segments in which uh, video is needed? Okay, I mean, I mean, historically, Allegro DVT has been very, very strong in video surveillance, right? Whether that's basically for consumer application or even for professional applications, right? That's the one. Yeah, but more and more, we see basically the cloud transcoding segment, right? Becoming very, very important, right? And uh, uh, more recently, cloud gaming is picking up because we have basically some uh, advanced solutions 
that uh, were announced very recently. So it's public information. So we now support Chroma format up to 444. We support 12 bits uh, Chroma samples, things that can be, that are definitely, you know, of interest to cloud gaming uh, applications. Low latency, of course, is another requirement, right? And uh, one of the uh, growing segment also for us is automotive, right? where we see more and more demand for, of course, video IPs. And that's a very, very interesting segment that we are watching very, very closely. And I'm expecting the automotive to become, you know, one of the most important uh, market segments for uh, for Allegro in the next uh, two, uh, two to three years. Interesting. And is that for the scenario, um, you know, it's well known that Tesla has, um, what is it, six, eight, ten cameras on the car. Um, it, is, is that for like capturing a video coming off the car? Is there some other application? Like what are the automotive applications exactly? Uh, in automotive scenario, you have, as, as you mentioned, more and more video sources, right? So in, in today's solution, uh, Video processing tends to be uh, done at the edge, right? So you have you end up having basically, as you said, maybe eight to ten different video processing units that are fitted just behind the uh, behind the uh, the cameras, right? And that's what you mean by the edge is literally like on the car, on the camera, on camera. Yeah. The, the now the trend is to, uh, to centralize this video processing into basically big units where basically all the decisions for really like ADAS autonomous driving get uh, get get taken. So you would do basically an, an encode at the edge, transmit right to the central units. Of course, you need to compress at the edge to reduce the uh, the bandwidth, right? And uh, in this central unit, processing unit, you of course need to decode, process, and sometimes you have to re-encode, right? So to store basically, let's say the, the last twenty seconds of what happened. Uh, and this is where we we see basically the uh, growing demand for uh, for our solutions. But again, uh, to to achieve that, you need uh, solutions that uh, preserve video quality. So I mentioned 444 12 bits. That's typically, that's definitely a requirement we see in automotive. And also uh, we need uh, uh, ultra low latency, compression and decompression. Yeah, because the decisions about navigating the car have to be taken very quickly based on that video. Absolutely, yeah. So it's a very exciting uh, segment for us because we are learning. <laughs> yeah, it's new to us. We are learning. Are we? We are adding basically new features. It's very, very interesting. Yeah, Mark, I, I can imagine it. I mean, it's such a huge market. Millions of cars. Each one has six, eight, ten cameras. Yeah, they have to work all the time. They also have other sensors like lidar and 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 radar and things like that. And um, all this information as you drive has to be processed constantly. And uh, if you want to process it centrally in the car, you, you need to pass it over the internal buses of the car. You still need to compress and then decompress and then compress again for storage. So really it's, uh, you know, every car becomes uh, such a huge uh, transcoding machine, basically. Yeah, that's right. It's a mobile transcoder. <laughs> yeah. Wow. It's like, you know, you have those mobile video vans, like yeah. you go to an event and you get feeds from eight cameras and you have this van that where the director sits and, and yeah. all the video is being processed. Now every car yeah. <laughs> has yeah. more processing power than that van. <laughs> you know, it's it's amazing. My wife just got a, got a new car recently and her car has six cameras on it. And it is so remarkable because you can hit a button, you have all these different views and whether you just want to make sure you don't hit the curb 
be you know when you're pulling in. <laughs> but yeah, I thought about that too. Like six cameras, and these are like high resolution. I mean, the video looks just absolutely stunning. So it's it's incredible. Well, uh, you have an amazing list of customers uh, on your on on your website, and you know we know you can't go into details of of, of what you're doing uh, with each one, but you know I I noticed uh, ARM and and Intel and Google and. Microsoft, Adobe, Broadcom, DirecTV, and I'm sure that's just like the tip of the iceberg, as they say. Do you have a case study that you could share with us um, or, or tell us about maybe an application that, you know, you're able to talk about publicly that you're really excited about that you did with somebody? Yeah, I mean, it's, I mean, we can't disclose the name of the customer, right? But uh, it's a customer that uh, came to us, okay, and uh, uh, requested, uh, you know, a very unique uh, requirements, right, for their video IPs. So the uh, the main requirement were basically to provide support for uh, 444 Chroma format, right, which is uh, something that is that that cannot be found e- easily in the industry, right. The requirement was also to support a high resolution, as up to 8K. So that was a big challenge. I mean, in terms of in terms of combining basically the uh, the 44 support for 444 with a high resolution, right? So that was I, what I call basically, uh, you know, a customization work. So we worked uh, very hard with the customer. We had to change, of course, the architecture and uh, of the internal uh, internal IP, the internal pipeline to allow uh, supporting, you know, 444 at such a high high resolution, right? So uh, we were successful, and I think the customer is about to to tape out the chip as we speak now. Wow. And I, I guess you probably had to adjust the external buses as well, right? To handle s- such a huge amount of raw data? Yeah, absolutely. So that's also part of the customization. And, you know, it has to do with also, you know, I mean, uh, without getting into the details, but uh, memory bandwidth, right? In such systems is uh, also a big issue, right? So we have to be very creative, right? To optimize the amount of, uh, you know, memory transaction required, especially for the encode and also for the decode process, right? So, and that is done through, of course, different uh, levels of uh, of caches that are built in, in the IP. We have to work hand in hand with the customer to optimize the overall solution in terms of memory bandwidth, in terms of bus latency. But that's also another issue. So when you have basically a big SOC with, uh, you know, multiple masters requesting access to the memory. So there is, of course, a latency that is associated with every every time our IP needs to access uh, the external memory. So that latency has to be also managed and taken into account in the architecture and design of our IP as well. Wow. Sounds like a huge challenge, uh, this project. It is, it is, yeah, but it was very successful. And this is basically what's what's helping now to provide uh, uh, those, you know, high uh, quality uh, advanced IPs that uh, will be uh, useful for the, uh, you know, the new segments such as cloud gaming and automotive, where support for high res, high quality video is a must. Let's talk about codecs. So uh, I noticed that you recently, uh, well, recently, I think maybe it was last year, uh, announced AV1 support uh, in, in your SDK. And yeah, you know, would love to hear uh, what what response, you know, that you're seeing. Is this something that people are really excited about? Uh, are they, you know, holding off? And, and other codecs too, you know, you mentioned VVC. So from where you sit, 
in the world of ASICs uh, and licensing, you know, video IP for silicon. Uh, what are you seeing? First of all, I mean, as uh, as an IP provider, we love you know the diversity of uh, of the codecs because this is something that you know keeps us busy, right? When it comes to uh, to video codec choice, I mean, we are we tend to be ag- agnostic. I mean, this is up to the customer to tell us what they want. But in terms of demand, I think you mentioned you mentioned AV1. AV1 is definitely you know the uh, the the new codec that are getting traction in the streaming space. And I mean, for obvious reasons, it's being it's backed by a strong ecosystem of players, right? So I think there is no doubt that AV1 will be will be one of the uh, one of the key uh, codecs in the next uh, two to three years. H.264 is still the common denominator, right? So every, I mean, I I don't remember doing a deal with any customer without H.264, to be honest, right? And it will be the case. You know, I don't, I don't see H.264 going away right? uh, anytime soon, right? HEVC is a very interesting codec it's a very capable codec but unfortunately it will slow down bob down by by you know an unfavorable royalty regime right we do see demand for hcvc uh, as well right especially mainly in in you know to uh, in broadcast for 4k hdr applications right now if um, if we look at the new codecs that are coming up so we mentioned vvc there are also Two new codecs that that were I think released by Ampeg this year, so EVC and LCEVC, right? As Allegro, we decided to focus on on VVC right now, right? We we think that VVC will be you know an important codec in the next few years, right? There will be demand for VVC, okay? Typically, the demand starts um, with a decoder, so you need basically an installed base of decoders first before you can start talking, uh, thinking about, you know, broadcasting or sending content in, in, in a new codec. So uh, our focus right now is on bringing to the, the market a VVC decoder IP. So we believe in VVC. We think VVC will be will have a you know, bright future, right? The two other codecs that got released uh, by Ampeg, I think it was last year, right? LCEVC and EVC. Very, very interesting solutions, right? Uh, for the time being, uh, I don't see demand coming from our customers, right? In terms of having uh, hardware-based implementations for those two codecs. So what would be the market segmentation? I mean, you, you anticipate demand for AV1 and for VVC. Um, will they be competing in the same markets or will it be for different applications? It's a good question. I mean, it's it's difficult to answer. Uh, I would say that uh, VVC will be uh, the dominant codec in uh, in broadcast. In broadcast, like replacing HEVC for the 4K and and the 8K when it comes. Exactly, replacing even H.264 because, as you know, H.264 is still uh, you know heavily used in that space. Uh, AV1 is, I think, it's being used in the streaming space, right? And it's getting traction there, and uh, so I don't see a reason why AV1 usage will not uh, continue to uh, to grow. Obviously, it's being driven by a very large consortium of the largest uh, tech companies in the world. So absolutely, absolutely, yeah. Okay, Noir, I think this has been really a fascinating uh, conversation. And we learned a lot about trends in video, especially video encoding and hardware video encoding in, in the various markets. And it looks like you're doing um, uh, an amazing job w- with your IP, um, you know, producing IP that is standard and supports uh, the latest codecs. And also, when needed, uh, customizing it according to uh, the needs of, of the customer. And... Um, 
I'd like to thank you for joining us uh, today on the Video Insiders. Thank you very much, Joe. Thank you, Mark. Thanks for uh, the invitation. Absolutely. It's a great conversation. Okay. So uh, thank you, everybody, for listening to this episode. And as we usually say, happy encoding. Happy encoding, everyone. Until next time. Thank you for listening to the Video Insiders podcast. If you'd like to appear on the show, just send an email to thevideoinsiders at beamer.com. That's B-E-A-M-R.com with a brief description on what you're working on and why you think it's interesting for our audience. This podcast is sponsored by Beamer Imaging. The views expressed by guests are their own and their appearance on the program does not imply an endorsement of them or any entity that they represent.